Welcome to the Revolutionaries of Wellbeing podcast. I'm founder and host, Sarah McGuinness. The Revolutionaries of Wellbeing, or ROW, is a community of wellbeing managers from organizations around the globe. At ROW, we develop you as a wellbeing leader, giving you a powerful support network, professional development, and workplace wellbeing solutions so that you can focus on giving your employees the right support at the right time. To be stronger, better, and faster at improving wellbeing in your workplace, professional development is key. These discussions on workplace wellbeing are designed to inspire, share ideas, and raise awareness of important issues we can all take action on. The interviews are recorded as part of our monthly Wellbeing Wednesday webinars. In this interview, we explore the idea of the four-day working week. COVID-19 has certainly forced a rethink on modern work practices. And the four-day work week has hit the headlines as a potential game-changer for productivity and workplace well-being. Many in New Zealand will know of the success of the four-day working week at Perpetual Guardian. It made headlines around the world in 2019, when results showed the introduction of a compressed schedule delivered an increase in worker productivity, engagement, well-being and job satisfaction. Having seen the success, other big-name brands around the globe have jumped on board. Even New Zealand's Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern has given it a stamp of approval as a flexible work option. So, how does it work? What are the pros and cons? And in which organisations is it likely to be most successful? Joining us in this interview is Andrew Barnes, founder of Perpetual Guardian and founder of 4-Day Week Global and the 4-Day Week Global Foundation. Andrew will share his experience plus insights on the future of work. The thing is, the four-day week is wonderful clickbait because everybody can think about a three-day weekend. And so often when I'm talking about a four-day week, you know, the introducer will go, and what would it be like to have a three-day weekend every week? Actually, that's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is reduced hours working that delivers the same level of productivity. And we we call this the 180-100 rule. 100% of five-day pay, 80% of the time, i.e. four days, provided the organization gets at least the same level of productivity, 100% productivity. And we do that because that means that this can apply not just to full-time staff, it can apply to part-time staff as well. Same formula can be applied whether you're working five days, four days, three days, two days, or indeed one day. But the concept is that we are looking to see a reduction in the working week and a rebalancing of the amount of time that you spend working and the amount of time that you don't. So that's the the simple way of doing it. Four-day week, everybody understands, but, but there is a little bit more science to it than that. And what inspired you to, to look at the concept then? Where, where did it begin for you? It, it, it began for me, frankly. I was, I was on a plane, remember plane, and uh, I was reading an article in the UK Economist magazine talking about uh, productivity, specifically UK productivity and, in fact, Canadian productivity. And what it said was that, that the true level of productivity in a working day was give or take about three hours. And the rest of the day was a combination of not productive or busyness in that you were doing things that would work, but was it actually delivering anything as far as the company was concerned? 
I gave that some thought and thought, well, interestingly, I wonder if that's happening in my company. So I thought, well, why not try an experiment to see whether we could change how we worked, change the productivity levels of the organization, and the carrot for that would be more time off rather than more pay. And so I, I basically contacted my head of HR and said, look, I've got this crazy idea. We'll pay our staff for five days, but they only have to work for four, and we'll see what happens. And, and that's broadly how it, it kicked off. I mean, there was no more there was no more science to it at that stage than that. And then tell us about the journey. How did it go? What, what was the initial reactions? <laughs> well, I mean, everybody in my company thought I was completely barking mad. I mean, the board hated it. I fixed them because I announced it on national television. Um, so that the first time they heard about it was it, it had been announced and, and they weren't, weren't game enough at that point to overturn it. I mean, I can do that because I own the company, right? right? But my leadership team to an individual, all of them, thought it wasn't going to work. And there was a quite a degree of hostility um, to the concept. The staff, well, you can see it actually. Somebody videoed the original announcement, and um, the reaction from the staff was not exactly uniformly, you know, cheering from the blue seats. It was there was cautious laughter, but a lot of the staff were also saying, "Well, actually, don't quite understand this. Why?" Why would this work? So the first thing was to was to get people to accept it as an idea. Now, then the, the, the stroke of genius, so to speak, was that almost by accident, Auckland University of Technology Associate Professor Jared Ha saw the announcement, saw the news clip and said, I'd like to do some research on this. And then we, we also approached Auckland University Business School and asked them to do some as well. So what was really interesting is that people had done four-day week projects before, generally talking about work-life balance, wellness, whereas we approached it from the perspective of saying it's about productivity, and we also got independent research right from the get-go to run alongside the trial. And that's, I think, what made the whole process different in that we we had a lot of data from the trial and from you know, the, the, the shape of the company before the trial. And we are therefore understood not just what was happening from a wellness perspective, from you know, the engagement, empowerment, enrichment scores, uh, the stress scores, but we also had good base data around productivity and, and what actually happened to the company once we implemented it. Mm. So, you know, not planned. It was, it was, you know, it was really just a, an experiment. I thought, well, why not try this? What could, what's the worst that could happen? And actually, I remember when we when we first um, met to talk about this, I think one of the things you were really clear on was it was driven, once you kind of got over that initial <laughs> hurdle, it was really driven by the staff and understanding how they could work in four days rather than mandating this is how it's going to work. Yeah, because if you believe the thesis uh, of, the only three hours of productive work, you have to ask yourself, why do you only get three hours of productive work? Now, a bit of that is behavioral. You know, I come in, I have a terrible commute, I sit down, I have a cup of coffee, I then want to distract myself, I go on the internet, I chat to the person next to me, 
and really can't get going. And I've, luckily, I've got a meeting I can go to. And so I'll go to that meeting. And it's scheduled for an hour. So it is an hour. And I don't really need to be there. And we could have done it in 15 minutes, but it's an hour. And you, you have all of this stuff that happens. And so what the thesis was, it was not about just about a process re-engineering. It was about behavioral re-engineering. And a lot of that comes from the individual. So, uh, for example, we found that the amount of time that people spent surfing the internet on the top five not business-related internet sites in New Zealand dropped 30%. So people were changing behavior. I am not going to spend that time seeing what the Kardashians are doing. I'm actually going to get on with my work because there is something in it for me. You know, meeting times changed. How uh, people went from, you know, hour-long meetings to half-hour meetings. We changed how people would socialize in the organization. In other words, don't have little meetings that disturb other people in the organization. We rechanged the office space. So you do them where you don't disturb people. Lots and lots and lots of little hacks, which didn't come from us. They came from the employees because the employees recognized what it was that was stopping them being productive. And so some of that is systems, but a lot of it is is how your office is configured, how you know how the fact that you can interrupt somebody at any point in time and that then in turn causes a, a drop in productivity. So there were lots of things that came out of this process. And and that's what delivered the uptick in productivity. And I'm, I'm interested in, in that process and, and that ability for people to give feedback. How, how did that work? Was it sort of channeled back through managers or was there a, a process for being able to, to share and reflect? No, we had uh, several methods. I mean, some of it came through managers, but actually there was, there was systems that you could put any hack idea that you had up and they could just be shared across the organisation. So we... We, we literally tried to create an environment where anything that worked, if it was working for that team, that team could share it with another team. And so what you've really got here is uh, process re-engineering, your corporate re-engineering, but driven from the bottom up, not from top down. And top down, you know, will come with a consultant. It will come with probably the risk in the eyes of the employee that this is going to mean job losses. Whereas by coming from bottom up, it, it comes without that stigma. And what you get is, you know, substantial improvements in productivity. In our case, we would say between 25 and 30% improvement in productivity in the organization as a consequence of doing the four-day week. That's incredible. I mean, those are, those are big changes. And, and, and you mentioned early on some of the the measures that were key, were there some that were absolutely key in knowing this has been successful and some that were sort of supporting measures that helped to make that argument? Well, look, I mean, I think that we're a retail business, right? I mean, people often say this won't work in, in, a, in a retail space or, or, or what have you. We are a retail shop as much as anything. We had little offices we had to keep open. Customer service was sacrosanct. Outputs were sacrosanct. Turnaround times were sacrosanct. So you, you have to have some things that you have to deliver on. And, and those things we, we said, well, you know, they can't change. Um, what we then wanted to understand was that what was the impact on the individuals? Was it actually positive or negative 
Because if what we were doing was increasing the pressure on employees, that actually is not a good thing. Well, the idea was that we felt that, or I felt, that a, a more refreshed, relaxed team, a relaxed in the context that they had time to recharge their batteries, would actually deliver better productivity, but also would be better for the employees. So what we, we wanted to find was what stress levels would do. We found that in our case, stress levels dropped 15%. More people said they were better able to do their job working four days rather than five. Now, those two outcomes were actually quite critical because that said that what we weren't doing was just turning the dial up as far as the employees are concerned. If anything, what happened is that they found that it was easier to work in this environment. Now, that's not universal. There are always people who are going to find it tricky. And we dealt with that problem by effectively not making, when we implemented the policy permanently, you can opt, if you wish, to work a normal five-day week. Not very many people do, but you can if that's what works for you. And so it sounds like that flexibility was also important then to recognise those individual differences too. Oh, yeah, because uh, one of the problems, especially in a larger company, I mean, you'll find with four-day week, it's implemented throughout the world. In smaller companies, quite often the company will make an executive decision. We're not going to work Wednesdays. We're not working Fridays or, or whatever. If you are a, a larger company, especially with retail out, outlets, you can't do that. You've got to be there for your customers on normal trading days. So your model inevitably has to be different. So ours is different. We don't take a single day. People decide uh, in the teams. Who gets what day? It can rotate. doesn't always have to be the same day. And so we have, applying the 180-100 rule, we have people who work five days, normal hours, fine. We have people who work five days, compressed hours, quite often parents of, of, of children at school who want to uh, drop them off and pick them up. And it works for them to be working compressed hours over the five days. We have people who take two afternoons off a week. And we have people who take a day off a week. I don't care. What I do want to know is that you're working less hours and that we are achieving what we set out to do, which is is that 80% of the time rather than 100% of the time. And I, and I recall, you know, again, our conversation that you're now obviously you're leading the four-day week campaign and you've been working with other organisations and there have been quite a few who have picked this up. What are some of those early myths? And I'm thinking, you know, that increased pressure obviously is, is one of the ones, you know, how everyone's going to have more to do in less time. What are some of the other myths that you come across when you're talking to organisations about uh, this? Look, yeah, the biggest, one, the biggest one is everybody, the people who will look at you and go, well, Andrew, it'll work in your little organisation, but, but, you know, reality is. It wouldn't work in, I'm picking, I mean, it's, it, it wouldn't work in an industry, it wouldn't work in my company, and quite often the individual who says that doesn't work in the industry that they're saying it's not going to work in. And uh, when I wrote the book, I wrote this chapter that, that said, you know, cows can mil- need milking twice a day, which was done as a consequence of a conversation I had with, with a bloke who said, well, it wouldn't work in the dairy industry. So... For me, what you then have to do is you say to people, well, what industry wouldn't work in? They'll say it didn't work in manufacturing. And then you'll say, well, explain that to Volkswagen who've been doing a four-day week in manufacturing for actually quite some time. Or 
Um, it won't work in the building industry. Well, there's a building company down in Hamilton that's actually doing the four-day week. It wouldn't work in, and on it goes. And often, you've got to recognize that the five-day week is itself a construct of the 20th century. Henry Ford, um, he was regarded as an idiot when he suggested you'd go from six days to five days. Uh, why is it that actually we've decided that the five-day week in its current guise represents the pinnacle of the way in which you know we work? And, and and I think that's the thing that you have to understand, that we can always do things better. You're saying if, in fact, we can't do things other than the five-day week, you're saying that is the pinnacle of human achievement, which is clearly wrong and, and doesn't reflect actually what's been happening in the fourth industrial revolution. We just briefly in the intro were talking about the impact of COVID. And so, again, that has forced us to look at how we work and what are some of the reflections you have around that? Well, bizarrely, uh, if you think about COVID, COVID is one of these things that, that suddenly you have to think about social distancing in your organisation. You have to think about corporate resilience. We have avoided it in, in New Zealand and to an extent in Australia. But if you're overseas, say in the UK or, or Europe, actually having people off as a consequence of COVID, not just them having COVID, but their children having COVID or a member of the family having COVID means that you suddenly have people who may or may not be in the office at any point in time. Now, we had already dealt with that because our model is making sure that there is corporate resilience and on a weekly basis because at any point in time, somebody will be taking a day, an afternoon, or time off. And you can't just go leave that to tomorrow because we've said that how you interact with customers, customer service standards, turnaround time, all of those things sacrosanct. So what we found is that corporate resilience improved. We, I think the scores on corporate resilience went up about 40%, 40%. And people recognized that actually they were better cross-trained, they, there was better knowledge of what was going on with customers. Now, overlay COVID on that, and suddenly the organization just went, well, so what? It's just like the same sort of disruption we had before. So when we went through the three months of lockdown, we had two record profit months and one month where we missed a record profit by $15,000. As far as the organization was concerned, it just didn't happen. So we didn't take wage subsidy. Uh, we did none of that. We didn't need to do any of that. That's um, incredible. And what I'm thinking about that too is the four-day week, and you've kind of touched on this already, really forces people to have to think about the role that they're in, but also that transferableness across the organisation because it's often one of the challenges, isn't it, especially in organisations that have been around a long time is you have people entrenched in the role that they have, they become the, the knowledge bearer and it becomes a thing that's sort of, you know, closely aligned to them. And that's breaking yeah, that I'm, down, I'm, isn't it? You're right because see what you're doing is you're, you're not you're not dictating how the new model of work is is going to be. You're saying to the staff, "Here is a challenge. Here is a goal. Here is a benefit. Now, what are you going to do differently?" And and the other side of this, and this is this is the little tweak that we put on the four day week. And 
I can uh, your contract terms don't change. So our staff are still employed for five days a week. Now there's reasons for that, and it, it's to do with employment legislation. You opt into a four-day week policy. And that says basically that if you don't deliver the same levels of productivity, we have the right to say, right, everybody back to five days. Now, we've only ever had to invoke that clause once, which we did um, very early on in the piece with a team that didn't, I think, take the challenge seriously. But for everybody else, they understand that actually this is a compact between the company and the employee. And that if you don't take it seriously, that that benefit can be withdrawn. And so it's not just the benefit to you. It's the fact, and, and we were talking about this with an, with a, um, an ex-employee of mine who's now in Ireland and, and working with the 40 week campaign in Ireland. And, and, and she was saying exactly this point. You recognize that this is a valuable benefit to your colleagues as well. And you have a responsibility to make sure that they maintain the benefit as well as them having a responsibility that you can keep it because it's a team-based goal. Team fails, everybody back to fine. And, and the shock of that or the, the threat of that means that people take this seriously. You, know, you deliver what you've promised I will deliver you 40 more days off a year. It's very much like, you know, encouraging that corporate citizenship, by, you know, thinking not the individual, but, but the global. So those working less hours are able to have more time away from work as a type of reward benefit. However, for those that feel they need the five days to do their job well, what alternative rewards or benefits do they receive or experience? Well, if you think about it, what we're doing here, is we're saying, I don't no longer pay you for warming a seat. In fact, I should never be paying you for warming a seat. We, we use time in the office as a surrogate for productivity because we can't be bothered to work out what productivity is. I mean, you know, time and time again, I think we talked about this, Sarah, we have this conversation where people will come up to us and say, well, how do you measure productivity? Well, seriously? You know, how can you be in business without understanding productivity? How can you decide salary levels unless you understand productivity? So the point is the person who wants to work five days is, is saying, look, Andrew, I want to deliver that productivity, but I want to deliver it over five days, and I don't want to change my behaviors so I can deliver it over four. Well, fine. You don't, you don't get any additional benefit for wanting to do it in five days over four days. You do get benefit if you, you know, if you are you know, producing, you know, a high performer and you want to be doing it over five days, perfect. But next door to you, maybe a high performer is doing it over four. I don't judge you on the basis of the time you spend in the office. I'm judging you on your output and what you are trying to do. And, and quite often, actually, it's the poorer performers who want to work five days, or people who view that the work as, a, a, as an essential part of their social fabric, they're the people who want to spend five days in the office. It, it's, it's sort of counterintuitive in a way. And the best performers are often the people who are the strongest advocates for the four-day week. Mm. 
So as you say, it's, it's much more about, oh, this is another great question. Really, I love your questions. I was going to say, as a follow-up, so it really is around how the work is organised and how people can organise their time um, in terms of the work and, and less about the structures of, of rewards and benefits. Um, the follow-up question is, what support tools or resources are provided to employees so they have the competencies to work more efficiently? It's a great question. Or is it simply left up to employees, as I acknowledge that some may not have the tools themselves to achieve change? Well, it's, again, it's very interesting. Um, uh, look, I should be the very last person you ask how to work efficiently in my company because I frankly don't know. I don't do the job. Right? I, I own the business. I understand the broader strategic things. But the way in which the do- job is done on a day-to-day basis, the best person to work out how to do that better is the person who's doing the job. So that's why we did the trial thing. The trial thing was, I'm going to call it a safe environment to experiment we gave everybody a license to experiment now what that did is that then identified things that worked and things that didn't work and then what happens is that the organization now actually when we bring people in we bring them in so that they initially work five days now we do that for two reasons one understand what the normal working output is and secondly, experience, remind yourself what working five days is like. And then at the end of a period of time, generally a couple of months, you will shift to a four-day week path. Now, in part of that process, the other staff are working with you to make sure that you are getting up the curve and also getting those disciplines right about how you work more efficiently. Now, we had it in our Christchurch office. We had a, a bit of staff turnover there. They had to bring in a whole pile of people. Everybody literally then said, right, for a period of two months, we're going to work five days a week. We're going to get these people up the curve because we need these people to be as efficient as possible so we can quickly go back to a four-day week pattern. Now, you know, it, it's probably anathema to a bunch of people who think, well, we need to be training and resources and all of these bits. Actually, bizarrely, a lot of this is about attitude. A little bit is about training and process. But most of it is about attitude, understanding that my behaviors impact on other people. And if I can find those efficiencies or respect people, not wasting their time when they need to concentrate and they don't waste mine when I do, that that of itself will deliver productivity gains. The best example for this, if those of you who haven't looked at it, is you know a really simple one done by Microsoft Japan, which did uh, no more than five people in a meeting, no meeting more than half an hour, and people using Microsoft Teams, and got a 39.9% improvement in productivity on that thing alone. It's incredible. It's a massive difference. It is. It is. It's extraordinary. And, and so uh, I would, I mean, I can say this now, but because it's, there's a lot more evidence in, in, in 2021 than there was in, in, in 2018. But that result is borne out by company after company after company after company. And it's very easy for us to sit there and say, well, it wouldn't work in my business or, well, there are special cases. Do you really want to be that less productive as a company? than a potential competitor. 
It's a very, a very powerful question. And when you ask that question to senior leaders, I'm interested. What, how do they respond to that conversation? Well, actually, that's the one that actually really forces people to rethink about this because I'm not talking about work-life balance. I am not talking about uh, better mental health for the, for the employees. That all comes, the essential part of this transaction, we call our policy the productivity policy, is to do with trying to find a better way to work so that the company is more productive. That was the starting point. And what I then do is I share the benefits of that productivity with my employees in the concept, in the context of, you know, 40 odd more days leave a year paid. And that makes the difference. And, and what I'm picking up there too is it sounds like communication with, has been a really key part of, of rolling this out, keeping people in the loop with, with the benefits and how it's going. That and leadership is critical. So you have to walk the talk on this. One of the challenges is if you have a leader in the organization that doesn't believe in it, it's, it's no different than flexible working policies. I mean, company after company introduces flexible working policies. You have a leader who doesn't believe in it and rapidly flexible working stops in that team. We don't mandate staff to say you must work a four-day week other than the senior leadership team who have to. They have to walk the talk. They have to respect the fact that I don't mean spend then working four days, but then sending late night emails out. If you're doing that, you're not walking the talk. We have to demonstrate as leaders that we believe that this is a better way and we will lead by example in it being a better way. And then nobody in the organization will feel that they can't get to the C-suite if they're working four days a week. That's I, absolutely critical. I feel like that's a really critical message because there's kind of two things to unpack there. One, one is around that that leadership and as you were saying about not sending emails at night because, you know, for how many people they would get an email on, you know, Saturday or Sunday and that ruins their entire weekend because they're worrying about it until Monday and so there's become this 24-7, mm. you, know, you know, response to work. But then the second part is I can imagine then in promoting this policy, you're actually opening up the opportunities for people across the organisation. And being International Women's Week, I'm thinking of women returning to work. And and does that four-day week then open up more opportunities for oh, them, yeah, look, parents, actually, in general? Yeah, yeah look, I mean, uh, let's, let's, let's talk the, the, the woman returning to work. I mean, you know, actually, most women returning to work make one fundamental error. And they negotiate on time, not output. And so what happens is they come in, and, and my head of HR is a classic case in point. So so Christine did this. She wanted to work four days a week, so she negotiated. She negotiated an 80% contract with my then CEO. Now, why on earth would you do that? We we've taken a we took a very quick decision on this, and in fact, she was the very first beneficiary of this. When we went through the trial, I said, well, look, Christine, I mean, in the nicest possible way, you're delivering all this output and you're delivering it in four days. So I'm going to increase your salary by 20%, put it back up to what would have been the five-day salary. And we did that with everybody. And the beauty of the 180-100 rule, it means that you take away 
this issue for anybody who is working. If you want to work, if you are doing a four-day week, you've negotiated that, we will say, well, your actual working hours can be 80% of a four-day week. And, and that starts to equalize the process. Or if you want to work four days a week and you're delivering, which you usually are, your most efficient time managers in the organization are returning mothers. If you want to do that, then your salary goes up. Now, what that then does is, is open up equality, you know, leads to equality of pay, equality of opportunity. And the other thing is driving, giving it, making it okay for our men to take time out you know we can we can push women up as much as we like but if we don't push our men out of the company and give them the freedom to be fathers grandfathers that is always going to be a problem and the greatest stories for me the ones that crack me up out of my company are from the men where you give people a chance you know to pick your child up from school for the first time or spend time with the granddaughter and and the impact is such that you know we have a chap who does uh, two afternoons a week with his granddaughter he cries when he tells the story that's how powerful this is that's you incredible. know and, and it's actually life-changing for people you know it's totally totally life-changing yeah that's totally life-changing i i can't I can't overemphasize this in terms of what it does. We, you know, I, I, we had a young woman whose husband was a chef. She could take his day off, which was a Tuesday, every day. Her team said, you can always take Tuesday. They had a child at the end of that first year. Now, I'm putting it down to the four-day week partly because they could do that. Now, yes, this is life-changing. It is, it is fundamentally rebalancing how people work but at no cost i will have to say no cost to me as a company i mean I, we are sailing away with with you know continued higher productivity which bizarrely means we can pay our staff more which bizarrely means you're being paid even more for working less that's incredible so it really is almost like saying post-covid if we put that as a line in the sand is actually this you know, this concept that, that has enough evidence behind it to say this is actually the way that we should move forward. I believe so. I mean, this is a thing now which, you know, it was a crazy idea in 2018, but it's no longer crazy. The Spanish have introduced uh, legislation, actually, a scheme to support companies that want to do it. The Russians have put it in. The Indians, their model slightly different. They're drafting legislation. There's new legislation coming through in Japan of all places. There's a major campaign about to launch in the, in the US, but there are literally thousands of companies around the world that have made the shift and generally will deliver a productivity uplift of between 25 and 50% on traditional levels of productivity. My sick leave has dropped by half since we've implemented this. My turnover levels have dropped. The caliber of client of applicants has gone up. I, I keep coming back to, I'm a businessman. I focus absolutely on what is better for my company. And this is the best thing I've ever done to move the dial as far as productivity in the business is concerned. So, you, you know, you don't have to be 
going to the board, going to the CEO and saying, you know, we want to do this to make our, make, we, our social responsibility side. All of that's there. But, but the key thing is this is about making your company more successful, more productive. And, and in which case, why wouldn't you do it? You get all the rest free. And actually, that's a really good good sort of chance to segue to this bit. So for the people who are here and those who, who listen on the podcast, if they're thinking, great, you know, I want to be able to bring this into my organisation, where do you start? And I guess it's probably speaking to the senior leadership or the board and, and what are, you've sort of touched on some of them, but what are perhaps the key points that they can be making? You know, there's the, the productivity is obviously really key. Are there other messages as well? Well, yeah, it's it's a very, I mean, bizarre, it's a very simple thing to implement. I mean, yeah. yeah. We, we do say to companies, don't overthink this. You, you can overthink this. The, the greatest example of this was the Welcome Trust in the UK, which announced a great fanfare it was going to do this, and uh, then started to do research. And, and after months of research, came out with the earth-shattering result that Friday was the least productive day of the week. And then said, well, you know, but we can't close on Fridays. And we're going, to, who said, A, you had to, and B, you know, why did you need to do all of this stuff to basically scare yourself? So, in fact, at the end of the day, they scared themselves and didn't even do the trial. Whereas what we do say to companies, so and, and companies as powerful as Unilever and ours, you will have seen the headlines experimenting with this. Morrison's, the major supermarket chain in the UK, they've brought a four-day week in. The BBC is looking at it in, in the UK as well. These are big organizations what we say is don't overthink this give the challenge to your people you can chunk it you can start it in a department you can start it in an office but but just go through the processes the discipline of of announce give your team time to think about it run a trial feedback afterwards as to what worked and that's it you know, uh, we did it in our company. We're, what, about 350 strong um, without any of the things that you would normally suggest you would do for a process re-engineering project. We gave the challenge to the staff, gave them the goal, and then got out of the way to an extent to allow them to give the feedback and, and the changes. And that meant they own the changes. They absolutely own them. I own the outputs and what I'm looking for in the business. They own the changes. And that's a very powerful one. So really bringing people on the journey has sounds like it's been absolutely critical. Well, if you don't, it won't work, right? If you're not, if, if, if they haven't come up with the solution and what they will do differently, and because some of this is simple. I, you know, we've got staff who can't, for five seconds, especially in the millennial generation, can't put the mobile phone down. And so we created a little locker for them. <laughs> they could lock their mobile phone away. And, and even if they wanted to get it, well, great, you had to walk across the office to go and pick it up. Now, that may be <laughs> it's a simple example, but that is a reflection of what somebody needed in order to make themselves more productive so they could get this time out. I mean, th th a lot of these things are really simple. We have the, the flag in a pot idea. You know, you put a flag in a pot and that's your quiet hour. You are not to be disturbed in that quiet hour. Now, 
statistically, people are interrupted in an open plan office once every 11 minutes, takes them 22 minutes to get back to full productivity. So if you have an hour that nobody disturbs you, that is worth three hours. Now, there is your productivity improvement for the week. You know, if you did that, if you do that four days a week, there's your additional day right there. One thing. Massive difference. Yes. And it's simple. Just don't disturb people for now. You know, give them noise cancelling headphones, whatever you want to do. I mean, we, we allow people to do that. But, but that's, it's as simple as that. And, and it's understanding the impediments to people being productive. And that seems, yeah, it's that understanding and that, as you said, passing it back to staff and actually hearing from them what's getting in the way of their day that makes the greatest difference. Yeah, yeah I mean, I would like to say this is terribly complex and, and really consequently, you know, you, you need specialist advice, preferably from me. But, but you don't, you know, it is, it is actually not that hard. It is bringing your staff on the journey because there is a massive, massive prize at the end of the day from getting, from doing this and getting this right. And, and as I said, I mean, I, I, if, I can't think of an industry where they have experimented with this and it's not worked. The, you know, and, and it crosses borders, crosses cultures. It, it's broadly everywhere. And it, it's coming to... Um, it's coming to a competitor near you at some point over the next few years. So I think one of the big questions for companies is what would you do if your biggest competitor brought this in ahead of you? Um, can you then attract and retain the best staff? Are you going to have to pay your people more? How are you going to counteract the fact that they're going to get all the publicity for doing this and you haven't done it? What is that going to say about your organization and the mindset that is in your leadership team and how creative you are? The reality is you do not want this train's coming. You either get on it now or you're running down the track behind it. Thanks again for listening today. It's been great to have you along. If you're keen to join the revolutionaries of wellbeing, head to rowwellbeing, that's R-O-W wellbeing.com and follow the links to sign up. If you're in our community, thanks again, and we look forward to catching up with you really soon.